When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. Hope everyone's doing all right as we inch closer to Dublin. Cranach, you got your passport, got your toothbrush, your bag's already packed, or are you still working on it? Got the passport, not going to do the toothbrush. <laughs> I'm just going to go... <sighs> Northwestern fans. Oh, that, that, that's that normal. That's not Nebraska nice. Yeah, just bring a little halitosis over the uh, Emerald Isle. Hi, I'm Mark, Why and not? this is my friend Alitosis. Yes, and I'm just going to stress my H's the entire time. <laughs> You'll fit in perfectly in the British Isle. Brad, bad breath, stressing your H's. That's just like that's par for the course. Man, I know exactly. Yeah, no, I, I haven't packed yet. I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing: when you travel, do you do? There's there's two kinds of people in this world. There are people that will pack everything into their carry on, or there's people that check bags. Mm. What kind of person are you? You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the guy that will protect my my carry on, i.e., the radio equipment, with my life. <laughs> yes, fair. And then I, I, I've been pretty good with uh, with the the two carry ons. Get the rest in another carry on, like a like a little over right. your over your shoulder strap bag, kind of almost a gym bag type deal. Yeah. So, but so, is that what you're committing to for this trip? You know, I've got going overseas. Are you checking a bag? I don't know. Are you? What's it going to cost me? No. <laughs> there are two kinds of people in this world. I'm going to. I'm going to do a. I'm going to. Which one are you? I'm going to. I'm going to do a carry on, and I'm going to find everything in my my other carry on. I'm not checking a bag. Oh boy! All right. I just kind of wanted to know what kind of guy I was dealing with here. Uh, yeah. 20, are, are all three 20, of us, years. I'm a not a checked bag guy. I don't think I've checked a bag since I was like six years old. Like, oh boy. It's, 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 it's pointless. Why? What's the point? Like, you can really, they're, they're not going to say like, oh, it's too big a carry on. Like, they'll let you take whatever. Just You can fit everything in there. It's unnecessary. Can I go uber practical on you? The reason why you would do it, you just asked, is to bring a lot more stuff. That's why. But you don't need to bring a lot more stuff. And then if you lose your bag, there is nothing that screws up a trip more. No, it only takes totally. once. If they if they lose a bag, you're just like, I mean, <laughs> you just show up in the clothes you have on. You're just you're just you're screwed. You're completely screwed for at least like a day or two. All you're saying it's just like it is not worth it. 
to all those stragglers out there that are still checking bags. Yeah. Maybe if you're doing a month-long vacation or something, okay, like, I don't know. If you go on a month-long vacation, find a laundromat wherever you're going and, and do some laundry and save yourself some, some work there. It's... Or or stay... All a... your pictures is, is the same mm-hmm. stupid no-fear shirt that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> That's before your time, probably, Elijah. Sorry. It is. Uh, yeah, thankfully. What, Big Johnson didn't want any of the uh, the Saturday morning commentary. <laughs> Jeez. There were those shirts too, <laughs> or Banana Republic shirts when it was really just a lizard on a map. Yeah, some of us had yeah, those. the pocket tee, the pocket tee, and they used and to be you turn, special. You turn it around, and there's an elephant on a map or a lizard on a map. There was right. a map, and then some sort of animal. And Elijah's looking at us funny, like, "What is this Banana Republic you speak of?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, th- that was it. That was it. Mom and Dad had come back from. Kansas City or somewhere, or they go to Omaha, where both places had a Banana Republic store, and they'd bring you back the T-shirt. It was probably a $25 T-shirt, even in the late 90s. And then your psycho pyromaniac brother would burn a hole in it during a 4th of July Roman candle fight. (laughs) Wow, this is feeling... (laughs) No, we just well, no. You, hey, here's my dad. Get me a that beer. Got real specific. That got get, real specific. It, it, it did. It was get me a beer. What the hell just happened to the shirt I bought you? <laughs> oh my so, goodness. Hey, it's football season. That brings back great memories. That is. Oh yeah. Uh, what you you hold on to for hope the upcoming season and uh, we'll dive in plenty plenty of good nuggets this week from uh, mickey joseph from mark whipple and just where things are at coming up we'll we'll get a, a lowdown on the the o-line the rundown with jeremiah searles our rewind segment in about uh, 15 minutes searles joined us on thursday spent yesterday I want to say thanks to elijah and Connor for covering. We had a road show at the Hale Varsity Club and uh, had a chance to pay my respects. And, and a lot of uh, folks, uh, part of the Nebraska football program, were there to say goodbye to uh, one of the greats. And that was Jack Pierce. Just spend a minute uh, now uh, remembering Jack. And, and when the news came down Monday afternoon about him passing Monday morning, we were we were sad, but we also smiled uh, uh, to it just uh, what type of force he was uh, for change, uh, specifically with with why and how he got into education. He was a teacher uh, at segregated schools, and he was a man that could cook. He could make you laugh. uh, He could storytell. And above all, he changed lives. Uh, He changed lives not just with you know, okay, let's find a, a kid that can help Nebraska win. But his motive was to find a, a way for a kid to better his life and his family's life through education. So uh, we remember Jack yesterday, and it was it was just true to form. Uh, before we went, I, there was a private burial, but before. Uh, everyone left for the cemetery <laughs> you pull up to the church <laughs> and i don't know how jack found this but there's this giant old red beat to hell school bus <laughs> that's in front of the church and uh that's that's where the the pallbearers got in and 
away they went. Uh, so it was it was real. It was a big old red and white Nebraska flag on the back. So wow, uh, it was it was it was really uh, something to see. So, but no, we love you, Jack. Remember you, and thanks, Elijah, for playing that rewind yesterday. Uh, we had Jack on during our YouTube Tuesday segment. During the pandemic, so if you want to check that, uh, sit down out. Be sure to hit the podcast, Hail Varsity Radio. Cranach, um, a thought on on the the week that's been, and I, you know, who I appreciate in it. It shouldn't be oh wow striking, but Mickey Joseph, like Mickey Joseph, uh, his theme song is Twisted Sisters, not gonna take it. <laughs> he, he is he is incapable of drama or playing games and uh, a little bit of uh, on blast for Omar Manning. Hey, you got to play through Knicks. Hey, uh, he's practiced two days in a row. So that's progress. I mean, I, I was like, wow, uh, but but good. I mean, I was interested in that. You were just wondering how. um <coughs> how things were, were going in the receiver room. I mean, I'm, I'm like, laser-focused in on the offensive line. I'm interested in that. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in the quarterback and the running back room, but receivers, you just kind of, I don't know, expect to be pretty good. There's a lot of other things that go into to whether or not they can dominate a game, and it isn't their ability or what's being called. It comes down to protection and hurries and, you know all of that good stuff, but but Mickey's Mickey's personality was was so necessary, not just for that receiver room, but for the offensive side of the ball, and quite honestly for uh, the coaching staff as a whole. I mean, it's it's been said before, great hire. Uh, it, it can be said again that he he has the the potential and opportunity to be a real difference maker moving forward. It's one of those things where you. You just know that he has the respect of the room and you compare it like fully. And then you can compare that to, to last year to Lubick. This isn't to put him on blast in particular or anything, but, but you know, he didn't command that same kind of respect, nor do I think they had the same kind of expectations or even coaching just in general. Right, like there's no question who runs that room. With any of the any of the commits, any of the guys that are coming back, they they speak about him with reverence, mm-hmm. right? So they're so they're not only playing for Nebraska, playing for the 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 you know the name on the back of the jersey or name on the front of the jersey, not the back, the family. Like they're playing for him on a rep to rep basis because they know they're getting watched like a hawk. And then he's, he's not putting up with anything. And if you extrapolate that out to the rest of the team, and if you have that at every position, all of a sudden, you, you got you got a, a group of kids that are going to get a lot better. So, like, just from that standpoint alone, the accountability standpoint, and there is no receiver coach probably in the country, and I really mean that. It's hyperbole. I get it, mm-hmm. but – Look, when you walk in, you're like, yeah, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, those are my guys. What's up? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like what, what, you know, what do you say? And, and, and I'm sorry, but if you look at those two, yes, very athletic. But I, I would say there's equally athletic guys all across the NFL. Mm-hmm. 
right? Those you're, you're not talking here about Randy Moss. You're not talking about freak show athlete types that would have been good no matter what. You're talking about very good elite athletes. They're definitely elite athletes. But those dudes got polished. <laughs> and they got polished under Joseph. And everybody in that receiver room knows it. Right? And so, yeah, man, it, if he can get – now, does that mean that Nebraska is going to just crank out 1,000-yard receivers every year? Well, Ben Hart better handle the right tackle spot. Yep. Lasca <laughs> better keep the, the next Big Ten All-American rush end off of him. Um, so there's more that goes into that. But, do, do, like, as you sit here today, do you have doubts that the receiver room is going to be right? I don't. Like I have no, I have no doubts whatsoever that that they're going to be just fine. No, I and, and the reason being is he'll challenge, and there's there's no pedestal. There's not a pedestal to place high profile recruit or transfer on, and just stay away from. As as far as oh, let's not let's not rock the boat and hypothetically tick off at kids so maybe he'll be checked in maybe he'll be checked out i mean that's totally their choice uh to uh to to be all in or or not and if you're not you're gonna watch doesn't matter who you are i i get that that is a reality i get that that's a rule you know if there's a guy or two on the team that can dominate but but don't know (laughs) don't know every play uh, so what you're, you're going to get them on the field in certain situations last year. What's that say about their commitment to, to study in the playbook? If they're going to get playing time anyway, because it's third and eight and it's time to get, you know, time to go win a matchup. There's, there's, uh, there's some, some non-negotiable rules, I guess. And there's some non-negotiable actions, uh, in that two way street. So, no, I mean, it, it goes back to a, a bigger picture of organization and, and not bending. I think the communication part, too, and you nailed it, the respect part. And this isn't to, to on-blast the banker. I mean that. It's, it's just what it is. We call him the banker. <laughs> well, he is. I mean, he's a financial analyst. And now he's a he's a he's an analyst at K-State. And I'm not saying – and Lubick knows football. That whole family knows football. But you know, what, by the way, what's up with this weird Nebraska to K State caravan that's going on lately? Well, I think it's, a, I think it's the, the North Dakota State dude that's there, been their head coach there, Kleinman, for how many years? He's a good no, football I, coach. I mean, he's he, he is. But I'm just saying, what, what's up with you know? You got you got Will Honus, you got Cade Warner, you got Adrian Martinez. Now you got Lubick. It's like Nebraska South over there. What's, what's happening? I've never what's, been to the Little Apple of you. Have yep. Would you go back? Uh, you know, I if I had a free ride, I guess, and <laughs> free booze. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna on purpose get in a vehicle and cruise down there. Okay. <laughs> like it's if you kind of end up there somehow, that's fine. But to make it a destination, eh, probably not. Probably not. Two weeks from today, it is kickoff. It is Nebraska in Ireland against Northwestern. There was a really good preview this week by College Football News. And Elijah and I got into it a little bit. But 
they see this thing as a very ugly ball game where it's back and forth. There's a little bit of slop because of all the new. And eventually, Nebraska's just too talented, Cranach. Is Nebraska too talented to fail this year? Because in, in past years, it's had all the talent in the world, but that talent didn't translate. Hmm. Too talented to fail? I With some direction. That's a little, that's tough to say right now. Yeah. Because I thought they were last year. They were too talented to end up how they did. And, and you see what's happening now in the NFL with a lot of these guys. Yeah, they're playing well. They're really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the guys that did, didn't even get drafted, they're, you know, JoJo's second on the depth chart in Indianapolis right now. It's uh, Sam. Yeah, JoJo's money. Uh, Jurgens kicking ass. I mean, it's, yeah, you had uh, Cam Taylor Britt doing well in Austin, Cincy. Austin Allen caught a, basically, I mean, the equivalent of a, uh, yeah, he basically set him up for the win last night yeah. with a, mm-hmm. his only target and catch and run. Um, yeah, he's look. They, they they have that has not been the problem for years, man. Like it just you've had enough talent to be better than you are, literally every year since God fifteen since since Mike Riley showed up on his bike. I think I think twenty seventeen was was the year where you just had a void of talent and a void of belief, and uh, it was it was rough. And but no, you had you had a lot of NFL guys in sixteen. You got a lot of NFL guys in twenty twenty two. Well, like look at the 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 offensive line in particular. That's like the the perfect example of Mark's point, where it's you can see the talent. There's guys that are going off and finding roster spots. And Farniak was playing. Uh, I think, how many games did he end up starting last year? Two or three games, yeah. and was kind of a, a rotational guy in that offensive line. And sounds like Hymas. he's been doing well in camp. And Hymas has been uh, with the Chargers as well, uh, making a name for himself there. And uh, there's just been guys that you go, why did you never see that talent at Nebraska? Like, they looked fine at Nebraska. You're like, that's a, that's a good player. But then they go off to the NFL, and they're uh, doing really well for themselves. And you wonder why, because was no one able to, to unlock that talent it's here motivation. It's either internal motivation or it was just one of 11. I mean, think about yeah. it. Think about the teams they were on. Mm. At what point do you do you stop giving a damn when you're just getting housed? You know, what's your morale level? And look at Gates. I know he's got to come back from a sick injury, bless his heart, but I mean, Gates was kicking ass. Yeah, I mean, Gates was kicking ass as, a, as an undrafted guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that was nuts. He's a captain. Yeah, yeah. He's respected as all get out in that locker room. And he pissed everybody off here. together you know same with Wilcox it's funny like that that is one thing that I I think Mickey Joseph's back to Mickey Joseph Mm -hmm. his approach his floor of expectations matches Nebraska fans I think that's why we all like him so much right now it's very high expectation do you remember I mean think back to let's be real here for, for the Nebraska sort of insider dorks like all of us, if you're listening to this show right now at 7.25 a.m. on a Saturday, you are a Husker dork. Welcome. It's great to have you. Mm-hmm. So are we in different ways. Very unbiased, obviously, journalists. 
uh, speaking for myself, the Nebraska Sportscaster of the Year over here, super unbiased, right? Me, not so much. Um, look, think back to like Scott Shanley, for instance. Right. Scott Shanley got MF all over Nebraska because he wasn't Carlos Polk. The dude went on to play like a decade of the NFL. And win a ring. <laughs> right, but here... It's like, oh, come on, Shanley, get it together. You know, Will Compton, he, he was loved. We're like, oh, come on. Like, Levante David, did, nobody talks smack about him because everybody recognized Okay, that's. See, no, no, Will Compton was fine, yeah. but you, you watched him and you went, wow, Levante David, he's got a future in the NFL. I would have never seen Will Compton as a 10 year NFL guy. Never, ever. If you would have taken me back to his senior season and you said, that guy's about to go play 10 years in the NFL, I'd say, really? Like, he was good. And I, I no, thought he, he was going to get a, get a chance in the NFL, but I wouldn't expect him to still be a guy that we're talking about as, you know, potentially a guy that could get signed here through training camp into fall. Just you know the difference? You, know, you know the difference, though, is Will Compton's a guy that loves the game. Will Compton, at age 32 or 33, is willing to put up with ice baths and special teams just so he can stay on a roster yeah. versus – Versus a guy that's, well, I don't know if I'm going to play anymore because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get my snaps. My signing bonus may suck. Uh, no, he, he freaking breathes and eats football. Mm. Think so about I've, Matt Slauson. Slaw Daddy. Yeah. Think about, I forget his name already. I can't believe I do. He's with the Ravens now. Offensive lineman. Uh, no, he retired. Alex yeah, Lewis. Yeah, yeah Lewis was... Shipped to the Giant or to the Jets, and then I think Lewis is retired. But he was, but there. The, yeah. All all those names got Farniak. All those names got plenty of criticism here. Plenty, <laughs> right? Like I'm just like, what is this slot? God, mm-hmm. these linemen. See, Weger used to pull around and just, tell you where he's you know, going and kill you. Then yeah. he would house somebody from each level. Uh and pretty much just give a piggyback ride to the end zone. And you got these slobs who aren't even, you know, like the expectation level here has been consistently high. And that pressure and that uh, some teams fold under it. You can't deal. You know, some players fold under it. Can't deal. And Joseph has that same level of expectations for his guys. And so, like, we're cool with it. And, and does that come from being a guy who who plays here and understands what the fan base That's expects? Absolutely, it. That's a guy who gets Nebraska. Well, I, mean, I don't think he had low expectations at LSU, but I think this is just a guy that that took his own playing career at Nebraska and, and translated it into a coaching career, knowing this is what it takes to be a high level Division One football player. He knows what it takes, and it feels like he's imparting that better onto his guys than any coach we have seen here, uh, at least in the in the Scott Frost tenure on the offensive side of the ball. It's That's get- not hyperbole at all, Elijah. That, I think that is spot on. They haven't played a game yet under him. This isn't predictive as much as it is just what – that is the level of coaching, guidance, that is the bar that he's setting. Right? And Omar Manning, I don't know how many times last year and even the year before, like, dude was in and out of practice. Mm-hmm. We know that. In and out of, like, being on the roster kind of. You know, in and out of suiting up. Different reasons, and that's fine. But Joseph's making sure it's clear. No, dude, you practice every day, like, unless you absolutely can't. 
If you absolutely can't, okay, go sit down. But if you can and you're not, the bleep at it. Well, well I, I think you can't. Get, you can't allow that. You can't allow that to happen. You can't get away with that, quote unquote. And <laughs> you got a little bit more light shine. Hey, good for Omar. He's practiced two days in a row. And he's been nicked up, and that's the second time I'm repeating that. But for that to be out there now, I mean, everyone's like, okay. If if there was any BS, it is stopped. And again, I don't know. I mean, to your point, Mark. I mean, I'm not I'm not questioning or poking fun at. I'm not going negative on the mental health stuff that Momar's like shared. So I mean, I'm supportive of him in that. It's just you got to be a tough football player. Is pretty much Mickey's message. Well, well let me, are you let me hurt take, or are you injured? Let me, let me take us back to April real quick. There was a whole bunch of questions. Why is Xavier Betts leaving the team? What's going on? Is Mickey Joseph forcing him out? Like, no, no. It, it, it's you look at it and listen to what he says in, in press conferences and, and uh, these expectations that we've been talking about here for the last ten minutes. I don't think Xavier Betts ever struck anyone that was around the program as being a guy who. Really, really, really dedicated himself to the game of football. He was a guy with all the natural talent in the great world. Great at it. Great at football. <laughs> but, like, you never truly saw that development while he was here at Nebraska. He had a little bit better, but I don't think we, we, we ever saw a guy who dedicated himself to the game. And from what I've, I've heard from Mickey Joseph, what I've seen from Mickey Joseph, to be a guy that is going to succeed in that room, you need to be a guy who dedicates himself to the game. And I, I just think I'm seeing it more through fall camp of, hmm, this is probably why yeah. Xavier Betts realized that maybe this wasn't for him. Whenever he realized what it took to be a high-level Division One football player from a guy like Mickey Joseph, and he said, you know what, that doesn't align with where I'm at in life right now, and it was time for him to move on. And, and I, I think I, I'm more understanding of that now than I was, say, six months mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, and not only that, but he, he compliments that with elite recruiting, too. Mm. Yeah. Ne- Nebraska got a crop of receivers that – I, I think is pretty close to the ceiling that you can expect for, for Nebraska to get, you know, I, you, you know, that you might pull in some ridiculous five star, you know, once every 10 years or something, but generally speaking, that's not happening, right? Those five stars are going to, they're going to Georgia, they're going to Bama, they're going to Ohio state. Like that's where they're going. LSU, probably USC now, Like you're probably not getting that super elite freak show, Randy Moss type <laughs> to, He's probably not, but he brings in, I mean, these guys did not exist on the roster last year. The coldest Crawford, Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda, Trey Palmer, Marcus Washington. These are guys that have performed at a high level in division one football. Janir and Bonner. Oh my God. By the way, in terms of eyeball test, (laughs) you got two guys on the roster. You got uh, in the receiver room, you got Omar Manning. He's one of them. Janir and Bonner is the other one. You see that guy lined up with the rest of the receivers, like in fan day, sticks out. He just sticks out in terms of, okay, most human beings are not built like you. You know, definitely an all-bus team guy. So, like, he's he's not only up to the ante in terms of effort level that you need, he's also brought in plenty of players where it's like, you, you realize, you look around the room, you're like, damn, if I want to get a snap i better turn it up <laughs> you yeah. know very I, fair I, yeah i gotta get on it now it's mark Kradak, chris schmidt and elijah herbal weekend edition of tale varsity rewind next with jeremiah searles like what you hear 
High-quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor. I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into it, hour two, we kick off Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for Jeremiah Searles to join us. Uh, standout Husker, longtime NFLer at Searles71 underscore HSKR. Searles, what are you doing? You just blew out some birthday candles. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been too long since we talked. Appreciate you having me back on. Well, was it ice cream cake? Was it regular cake? I mean, talk to me here. It was venison burger. I wanted, I wanted venison burger with sweet potato fries, and the wife came through in a big way. Man, venison sounds pretty, uh, pretty tasty. Uh, I just went and put out my deer cams today, getting ready to shoot some more deer this fall. And, man, these cool mornings got me itching a little bit. I'll tell you that. Uh, the season is close. Why, why the venison as opposed to the beef, though? What, what about it makes you go, yeah, I want a venison burger instead of a, a usual beef burger? It's just, it's superfood, dude. Venison and, like, venison, elk, deer, like, if you eating something that runs away from predators as a living, <laughs> it's just stronger for you. You ever been to a cow farm? Those things aren't moving anywhere real quick. You eat deer, you eat elk, you eat, you eat wild games, something that has to survive on its own. It's just that much better oh, for you. Searles is starting to sound like the liver king. No, he, he is. I mean, it's outdoors Searles uh, all the time. <laughs> Uh, he's gonna he's gonna put on the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator camo and go to town. So before before you guys would take on the buffs, true or false, you would have a buffalo uh, or a bison pot roast. Uh, false. I wish I would have, but I did used to eat steak whenever we play the Longhorns. Okay, yeah, just doing one of Bevo's uh, relatives. I get it. I get it. Husker <laughs> football. I got to get your thoughts here on on the O line, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. And just um, feel you've been a part of lines where you were the new guy, and you had some some vets around you. You have some vets on on this line, couple of guys, right? But you've also got guys that that may have been in the program long, but they don't have a lot of career starts. How are you feeling about that O line going into this year? You know, to be honest with you guys, I'm a little shaky. You know, when you look at an O line, you always want to look. Okay, who are you returners? Who are your guys that were contributors last year that are coming back? And when you look at it, you go, okay, well, originally it was going to be Nuri, and then now he's gone. And so you're really like, okay, Trent Hickson is someone that I've heard has had a surprisingly really good camp because it wasn't super high expectations coming in for him to the camp. But I've heard good things for him. you know. And then you look at the tackle positions, and I think that all of us have to get a little careful of anointing Teddy Prohaska King here. Um, in my opinion, you know, he's still a freshman in my eyes. He had one start and half a game against Michigan. And, you know, I think that he's going to have some growing pains this year, but I think the upside for him is very high. You flip it over to the other side, you got you got Bryce Benhart over there, who had his struggles last year, but he has played two seasons now. He started a lot of football games. It's kind of time for him to make or break type of year 
um, for him. And then you look at Turner, who my guess is maybe moved to guard now um, with Nuri being out, and he might move inside. And then, you know, some names that have kind of popped off that, one name specifically is Kevin Williams. You know, a guy that I heard is having a really good camp, raising a lot of eyes. So you're, you're starting to see some depth pieces, but I'm still not 100% sure that we know who our starting five is right now, which is a little concerning. Um, it's not alarming yet, but it's concerning. You know, I think that we're still trying to find out not necessarily who the best five players are, but who the right five guys are to put out there on Saturday. And that's going to be a huge, huge make or break for this entire football team, especially when you're going up against a front like Northwestern, who's going to be very disciplined. Um, but, you know, I still, it's a little shaky for me, Schmitty. It's, it's the one position on the offense right now after seeing a practice and kind of seeing how things were going that I'm a tad shaky on. Jeremiah Searles with us, Hale Varsity Radio, our favorite Husker O-lineman and former NFLer. So that's, that's a fair point. I want to get your thoughts on, on Ben Hart because he's, he's been through it. He's had to adjust. He's had to adapt. He's had to work. And it sounds like he's doing better. Uh, you know, time will tell with, with, with game speed on that. And he's also seeing some dudes off the edge, you know, through, through fall camp. Has it been fair to, to Turner or Teddy uh, just asking him to play this early? I mean, I mean, that's the option, but there's really not been anyone in front of him, Jeremiah. I mean, is that, is that difficult? Yeah, extremely. I mean, the O-line is a position, and I know I played early, but I'll even be the first to tell you, like, I wish I didn't play till my third year. You know, I think that when you get a chance to really develop and be in a developmental program from 18 to 20 years old and change your body composition and change the way you move and lift the right way, like that's how you develop and then you get on the field and you're more of a polished product versus more of the, and a lot of guys do it, the baptism by fire route yeah. where it's like, hey, physically you might not be ready or strong enough or whatever it is, but you're talented and we need you. And that's kind of what happened with Turner. It's what happened with Ben Hart even, and it's really what's happening with Teddy. And that's just a tough thing to do, and it really just shows kind of the lack of depth that we had at that position and honestly that we still have a little bit where you wish that you have a stable of horses where you have guys that come in and you're like, listen, you're going to sit for two years and develop in the weight room and through the practice field and through reps there before you get a chance to compete. Now, if you're physically ready and you're gifted enough, then yeah, sure, let's roll. But, you know, I think some of the struggles that these young guys have had is just because physically they weren't ready for Big Ten football. Jeremiah Searles is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Searles, now you got a group of guys that, that they do have experience in the Big Ten, and they've kind of taken their lumps, and it remains to be seen whether they're going to take that next step. But uh, something we were talking about yesterday on the show is how crucial it is to have a, a guy on your offensive line that's kind of a leader of the, the offense as a whole, as well as the offensive line. So have you seen that guy or a couple of guys emerging? Did you know who uh, the leader of the offensive line could be in 2022? You know, I, I don't. You know, I, I'm not sure who that guy's going to be. I think that the easy answer needs to be uh, Turner Corcoran. You know, I think he's a vocal guy. I think he's a guy that he stepped up to the plate multiple times last year at the press conferences and took the arrows and took the bullets for some of the O-line woes last year. Um, that goes a long way. I think that Trent Hickson is a guy that in the center position, you obviously command a lot of respect and leadership just by the nature of the position. But also, he's a guy that if you look back at his career, he started an entire season, and he got benched, but he didn't whine, he didn't complain, he didn't transfer, he didn't do any of that. He just put his head down and kept working and kept getting better, and now he's getting his opportunity. 
that if you're the center and you go out there and you perform well, people are going to naturally gravitate to you being that leader. You know, so I think that between those two guys, those are the two guys that are really going to have to step up and be the leader of that relatively young group. Sorzer, are there any barometers for success you're looking for early in the season? I think an outsider's point of view might look at yards per carry or pressure rate or, or sacks to, to gauge how successful an offensive line is. But from an offensive lineman's point of view, what will you be looking for to, to say, yeah, this offensive line's getting the job done or no, this offensive line isn't getting the job done? That's a great question, Elijah. You know, I, I think that the thing that I'm going to be looking for a lot is the amount of negative plays. And what I mean by that are first and 10 busted run play. Now it's first, second and 12, you know, or how many, um, how the yards before contact is another one that you want to look at. Like is the running back having to bust through the line of scrimmage while a guy's draped all over him or is he getting to the second level before some guy's touching him, you know, the negative plays and the yards before contact are two things that I'll monitor closely for gauging success of how an offensive line is. And then obviously the sacks are another one, but one thing that's easier to look at is pressure rate, right? Like not just sacks, but how often was the quarterback's throw affected by pressure in his face? It doesn't have to be a hit. It doesn't even have to be a sack, but it could just be there's a free hitter. And so we had to rush the throw instead of letting the routes truly develop. And maybe we had to go for a short check down versus the long over route that takes an extra second or two to develop was going to come open, but we weren't able to throw it because there was pressure in his face. You know, So those are the kind of the three barometers that I'll look at for an offensive line's performance on if they're doing well or if they're struggling. Jeremiah Searles joining us here of Varsity Radio. Searles, a uh, thought here with the running back room, what you've heard and seen pairing with this offensive line, uh, getting downhill, more aggressive, moving people, that type of philosophy from, from Riola. Do you think you've got a good pair, the, the O-line in their run game, their ability to run block with somebody in the backfield, a la what you guys had with Amir? Yeah, you know, that's one of those. I think that's the room right now that I think has a true stable of horses in it, which is great. I mean, you talk about a guy last year, Amir Johnson, who really came on the scene. you got Grant. You've got Gabe Irvin, who's going to be coming back. And then they've got this young, and you got Yant, who's just a power back. But I'll say this, this A.J. Allen guy is really intriguing to me. You know, I got a chance to watch him run a little bit at the scrimmage, and he is extremely naturally when he's running the football. He's just his jump cuts, his vision for a young player. is a guy that I'd love to see him be able to redshirt and develop, but he's almost one of those guys we talk about talent-wise where it's going to be like, man, how do we keep this guy off the field? So that's a, gun, that's a room right now that there's a lot of guys in from what I've heard coming out of camp, there's really no clear starter right now at the running back room, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if you've got so many guys and no one's been able to truly separate themselves, that means the competition's tight. And that means there's a lot of really good talent. So, you know, I think it'll be a little bit of running back committee um, by committee as the, the year starts. You know, I think Gabe Urban won the starting job last year, so it might be his to lose. And if he's healthy and he looks great, sweet. You know, but I think there's going to be a lot of guys that get some meaningful reps and meaningful carries early on in the year and see what can happen. Searles, uh, without giving away state secrets, were you pleased with what you saw at the scrimmage? Yeah, you know, I was. I was pleased, and, and it, it was just a scrimmage. You know, but the things that you look for as a coaching side from the scrimmage is clean operation. There wasn't a lot of free staff of penalties. There wasn't a lot of defensive holdings, there, and there were referees there. You know, so I think that those were the kind of the, the things that I look for in a scrimmage. You don't necessarily look for the X's and O's because you're mixing and matching 
guys and you're still evaluating guys. And so I wasn't looking for that as much as how the operation of everything went. I thought it looked fairly clean, which is a good step in the right direction coming to the fall. Searles, but with game prep for Northwestern still upcoming, if there's problems within the scrimmage, how much time does the coaching staff have to, to fix those issues? Are they reaching a point of fall camp where now there's a time crunch of trying to get your, your team to play clean football, but also knowing we're going to have to start devoting time and practice to actually preparing for the teams on our schedule? Yeah, you know, this is the week where you start kind of ramping down the training camp piece and you start kind of ramping up the game prep piece. Um, you know, we play a game here in, what is it, 20 days, right? Um, so I think that right now you still have that competition for trying to vie for your first, your two deep, right, your starters and your second level and your travel squad. There's still that inner competition, but now the reps may stop being ones versus ones, twos versus twos, three versus threes, where you'll still have certain periods that are good versus good, but now you're going to start adding more periods of, hey, our ones versus Northwestern, our twos versus Northwestern, and then maybe there's a nine-on-seven or a seven-on-seven or a team run period that's still good on good to keep that high level of competition, that high speed of going back and forth against each other. So there is kind of a yin and yang to it. But right now, by this point, Elijah, you really should be playing clean football. It's just the norm. There shouldn't be a, an emphasis on it anymore. It should just be the standard. And I think that that's something that this coaching staff has harped on for a long time, going all the way back to last year. And you just have to hope that as players, you police yourselves with that. As coaches, you're kind of hoping that the players just handle that because that's the start, the starting block of a good football team. Searles, do you have high hopes for the defense? Have you been impressed from, from that side of the ball? You know, I have high hopes because I think Eric Chenander is a phenomenal defensive coordinator. But I, again, am uncertain because you have a lot of new faces and a lot of people that are not necessarily unproven but are unseen to the black shirts. Right, You haven't seen them in this crimson and cream, or not crimson, excuse me, scarlet and cream on, on Saturdays. Right, You haven't seen what they can actually do when the bullets are flying. And there's a lot of talent back there. I mean, the guys like Tommy Hill and Blackson Clark are fighting over there for that cornerback position. And you've got new guys in the back end. You've got new faces for rushing the edge. Right, You've got the, the kid out of TCU. You've got the kid from Tech now. You've got the kid from Bama that have all transferred in that – you have high hopes for, but until they go out and prove it on Saturday, all it is is high hopes. Searles, I want to look ahead to Northwestern here just briefly before we get you out. How important do you think it is for Nebraska to, to be winning that first quarter and to go into halftime with the lead in terms of getting momentum going the right direction for a season? I think, I mean, Husker fans would love to see a, a one-score victory for, for Nebraska in game one to, to try to, uh, you know, kill that curse, if you will, but how important do you think it is for Nebraska to get the momentum going early and, and go into to halftime in Dublin with a lead? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it, the first game of the year is the tone setter for the entire year. I mean, we all walked out of Champaign, Illinois last year kind of going, oh, expletive, right? Like whatever expletive you want to <laughs> enter there. And it was kind of like, oh, here we go again moment. And it was week zero. I mean, it, it's such a momentum-building game. And, I mean, from the word go in Illinois, it kind of felt a little shaky. So you're absolutely right. You want to get in and you want to put the foot down. But let's not forget – Northwestern's not going to forget what Nebraska did to them under the lights last year. They embarrassed them last year. And this is a disciplined football team. There's Pat Fitzgerald is one of the most respected coaches that his team is disciplined and they don't beat themselves. And they're going to be ready to go too. And, you know, so I think it's really important that we can get a little bit of a lead so that we're not relying on all these new faces um, on offense from the quarterback position to the receiver position to – the O-line put in a position where they have to pass block a ton, but where we can really call and control the game from the way that Nebraska is going to want to control the football game. 
Searles will Sue look good in purple. Is that a possibility? Vikings and Indomitian. It is. If, uh, if the old Ziggy Wilf and them up there want to open their checkbook, I think he'd look real good in purple. Uh, old Ziggy. Yeah, he's got a checkbook, though, doesn't he? I mean, it's a nice oh, checkbook. Oh, it's big, too. He's got a big old bill full. It's just a matter <laughs> of how, big the, how many zeros he wants to put behind the, behind the check behind Sue. There he is, Jeremiah Searles. Follow him on Twitter at Searles71 underscore HSKR. Jay, will uh, get caught up again uh, soon before kickoff. Thanks for the time. Absolutely appreciate it. Go Big Red. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office. Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone. You're not customer-facing. It's casual dress. And the work environment, it's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at jobsatfsc.com. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now... And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. It's Hour 2 at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. So, what I just did is the equivalent to trying to call the perfect play, play clocks winding down. And people are screaming at the quarterback for getting a five-yard penalty. I say, Elijah Herbal, let's stream this bad boy. <laughs> With about 90 seconds left before we come back from SportsCenter. So we're efforting here uh, on Facebook at ESPN Lincoln. And bang, he's on the spot. Brandon L. Vogel in his football office. Cranach, are you, uh, are you pretty enough for camera this morning? Yeah, well... That's debatable, but I am. Uh, I'm going to join anyways. Okay, okay, and we're going to say hi to Brandon Vogel as he's as he's flexing the the old Hulk Hogan pythons right there. Vogues, good morning. How are we? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. Is that tea or or just diesel coffee this morning? Oh, just black coffee always. Okay. Maybe in Ireland I'll have some tea. Okay. There's Mark Cranach. Uh, we invite you to check out ESPN Lincoln's Twitter handle at ESPN Lincoln or Facebook Live on ESPN Lincoln. Does Mark have audio is the question. Cranach, are you on mute? I got you. I got Chris. Can you hear me? Yeah. And, uh, and, and Vogue's shaking his head, so we're good. So hey. So, so we, if I go like, like this, this, does that, does that change, change something? something? Yes, it does. You are echoing horribly. Okay. So now I'm going to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time I couldn't hear Brandon, and I'm not sure I can today either. 
but hi mark no can't hear brandon mm, yeah. i'm gonna effort this <laughs> yeah so what, do that? so we have gone from a five-yard penalty timeout we get out of the timeout and we still don't know what the hell play we're gonna run <laughs> Fans got heads and hands, and it's and, and it's my like, oh. it's my fault. We'll we'll dive in. Cranack will get you fixed. But Vogue's uh, pretty uh, eventful week with Nebraska as they are going to shift next week after Sunday scrimmage into you know prep mode for for Northwestern. It's all prep, but I want to start off with, with Whipple and some of his discussion points uh, on the the offense and, and the quarterback room. And, and, you know, the juice part of things. Do you get the feeling that the offense is coming along at a, at a decent clip despite, you know, a bump in the road here or there? Uh, it just – you can have a bad day, but it doesn't sound like they've had a bad camp. Yeah, I think that's my impression too and a good way to put that um... – you know, at the, I think the first Mark Whipple availability of fall camp, he kind of praised how far they'd come, even just since the end of spring football. Casey Thompson, in that that same day that Whipple spoke, the the bad day for the offense, you know, noted that he's seen growth from from the offense to to this point, and it was kind of held against him out of context, I think, in in some cases. But overall, you know it's going to be a, a work in progress, I think a little bit. So you got to look back at kind of the consistency of the message throughout this whole, this whole time. Uh, also you get into week three of, of fall camp. And I think that tends to be the, uh, Hey, let's, let's knock, let's knock a group back or two, just if we need to, uh, to kind of keep the, keep the horses pulling and keep everybody, everybody motivated that always seems to seems to happen right around this time you've got through the first couple of weeks it's like hey we're, we're out here praising everybody everything's going great now we're going to say that 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 could have been better you always have to, to to correct a little bit and it can't always be sunshine and roses <laughs> you got to have some reality mixed in and and i think whipple's really good at the reality part and i'm sure he he is eloquent when he gets very real. Same with Mickey Joseph. We, we touched on that to start off the show with uh, some of his comments and uh, public airing. <laughs> A little festivus going on, Vogues. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think you could put Bill Bush in that that group too uh who you know and and that's the advantage i think and when you look at the the changes nebraska made which you know we've all done for eight months now there may not be a whole lot more there to digest but you get some of these coaches i mean whipple's been in the game for 40 years uh joseph and bush not quite that long but pretty long tenures you know they've been doing this for a while you kind of get the I ain't got time for this crap uh, sentiment a little bit, you know, because they, they've been around and they've, they've seen everything. And it's not that a young coach can't come in and, and be that way from the start. I think it's just something that's earned a little bit through experience and having the respect to maintain that point of view certainly has helped if you have as much experience in the game as, as those three in particular do. Brandon Vogel joining us, Hale Varsity Weekend at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter, managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and magazine, and uh, his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. So we're 
making our way through camp and we need to spend some time on the offensive line. Vogues, are you beer half full? Hey, it sounds like Ben Hart's doing better or beer half gone. All right, Corcoran's been watching and Teddy's still trying to get back to to 100% or at least knock that rust off. I purchased just half a beer and I haven't taken a drink yet. So I need to see a little bar before I can determine if it's half full or half empty. Uh, Does it even taste good? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, no, I mean, really, that's kind of it because we we haven't had the opportunity to hear from Ferreola yet. Uh, We're supposed to this past week and we will, I think, next week. And and that'll be good, you know, but until you see it, and there was such a, I think, burden of proof on that group coming into this year based on how last year went. And you've got some returning players, which is good. It should help. But, you know, that one in particular, uh, offensive line is really, really detailed work. It's kind of, I think, hard to assess. I certainly feel that way. And I watch a ton of football. Um, So it becomes a little bit binary. Like, are you giving up sacks? Oh, you are? That's bad. Uh, Can you run the ball? You can't? That's bad. Um, so that's kind of where we last left Nebraska. So the things we're hearing through, through fall camp, all fine and good. And I think there's reason there for optimism that just a a change in leadership can, can help, but it's the sort of thing, maybe more than any other group on the entire team, offense or defense. I think you got to see it on the field and we're still a couple weeks away from that. See, uh, I'm going to jump in here quick uh, ahead of you, Mark, just because I I like that beer half full analogy. It's almost like the way I see the offensive line is, yeah, beer half full, but it, it kind of looks and smells like Natty Light. That, that, that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> and some people like Natty. It's true. Depends. No, I, I think that's 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 accurate. That's that's always been the question with the uh, optimism p- pessimism glass glass analogy. What's in the glass? That, that makes a difference. If it's Natterday, who knows, right? Like <laughs> you know, that might that might translate well to Saturday. Um, Brandon, from from what you've seen with Northwestern. You know, we've been pretty narrowly focused on Nebraska and I've talked about every position group. When you dove into Northwestern coming into this year, high level, what I'm seeing is they get a good back that's that's coming back. Quarterback is a, is a question. Uh, defense, one of their worst years in Pat Fitzgerald's history there, probably stands to get better. Anything I'm missing? Do you think that about wraps it up? No, I think that's that's kind of the the general, you know, one-sheeter on, on Northwestern. Yeah. Defensively, kind of a, a drop was coming for Northwestern last year, um, not just with the experience that that team lost, but they also lost a longtime defensive coordinator. So it was reasonable to expect them to take a step back. That said, the step back they took was larger than I expected, um losing brandon joseph who's probably one of the best safeties in the country transferred to notre dame in the offseason uh doesn't help with that but i would still expect northwestern's defense to bounce back pretty solidly they've got a elite player on 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 the defensive line you know they're going to be good at linebacker uh so defensively i think this should look a little more vintage pat fitzgerald northwesterny uh, for, for lack of a better term. Offensively, you mentioned uh, they have a pretty good back, uh, rush for over 1,000 yards, which is not a common occurrence at, at Northwestern. That said, they're going to go through another change of quarterback. Uh, this has been one of the worst 
passing offenses in the country, maybe the worst power five passing offense in the country the past two seasons. Hmm. That said, they still made it to the Big Ten title game in 2020 with that being the case. So they don't need a ton there. But I think offensively, that's the big question mark. Also have an elite player on the offensive line. So you've got two stars, I think, two guys who, who will be NFL draft picks on, on, on the line. That's a pretty good starting point when you're, you're talking about a Northwestern and some of the challenges they have recruiting-wise. And Brendan, I feel like we've mentioned it a couple times on this show where it's, well, if Nebraska loses to Northwestern, it's because Northwestern plays cleaner football in Nebraska. Uh, they muck up the game. It's classic Big Ten football. But can we dive a little further into that just for a second? If Northwestern does, in fact, win this football game, how do you think they do it? Is it, is it on the back of that running game? Is it uh, Halinski coming out at quarterback and playing better than we expect? Is it the defense? How do you think Northwestern actually gets it done if they are to beat Nebraska? Yeah, good question. Um, I think defensively, it starts with um, if they if they're able to to keep the big plays down, which is you know key to any football game. But Northwestern has a history of doing that. And when we last left Nebraska a season ago, a, a different offense ago, it was one of the most explosive passing offenses in the country. Run game wasn't that. So if you can limit the big plays in the passing game, if you're Northwestern, uh, it puts the onus on a, on a running game that, you know, to go back to the offensive line, uh, not to mention running back, uh, is a bit, of, bit more of a mystery for Nebraska. Like if I were Northwestern going into this game, not knowing much about what this new Nebraska looks like, uh, which is the case, actually, uh, I would say let's – hey. Let's keep the passing game in front of us. It's going to look different. They're going to do some different things. They'll hit us occasionally. Uh, but let's keep that in front and, and make them beat us by running football. Offensively, yeah, they probably need to lean on that run game, probably need a couple of short fields. So there's your, your special teams mention uh, of this segment. And if, if they do that, I think offensively, the, the book doesn't change much on Northwestern. They're going to need some short fields via turnovers, special teams. Uh, and they're going to kind of grind it out. And Nebraska was really good um, at, at limiting big plays itself last year. I, I don't know that you worry about that a ton going into, into this with Northwestern. They just haven't historically been that explosive of an offense. Northwestern's done well against Nebraska since the uh, the two have started dancing. And every time... This isn't a knock on the, on Northwestern, and this isn't an excuse for Nebraska, but more the reality, Vogues. When Northwestern's beat Nebraska, and they've done it in Lincoln, they've done it uh, miraculously uh, the last couple of times in, in Evanston, they've had help. And that's the big question is you're right on with the run game needs to be a reality for Nebraska this year. There needs to be better pass protection. It's got to be better special teams, but – to your point, Elijah, about clean football in game one uh, overseas, it's got to be marketably better uh, for Nebraska super early to, to, to escape this thing. And I'm not, I'm not propping Northwestern up as Bama. I just look at the math and how it's happened. And it's been a lot of help by Nebraska with Northwestern, and they were good enough to capitalize on it over the years. Yeah, you I mean I think back to that that 2020 game, which was just you know the second game of the season of that shortened season for Nebraska, and we didn't know yet that Northwestern was not just going to win the West, but win the West and then go put a serious scare into Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. 
you know, Nebraska was in a great spot for like 66% of that game. Yeah. And then you had the two second half interceptions. Um, and, and that's what it is, Be, you know, and, and, and that's maybe, maybe that's the best way to kind of boil down what we might see in Ireland in, in a couple of weeks is <clears throat> Northwestern knows it. It's not, it doesn't need to be a risk taking offense. Nebraska has always kind of towed that line. Like it knows it can gain yards in, in bunches and it can put up a bunch of points like it did against Northwestern last year uh, when, when it's really hitting, but that comes with a little bit more risk. I would say Northwestern's kind of base base setting is, is a little bit more risk averse on offense. And then that's where the, the turnovers piece of it comes in. And that's where the start to the game of it comes in. Um, you know, last year, Nebraska hit for 70 plus yard pass on its first play and the game, I mean, we didn't know at the time and I wouldn't have said it at the time, but looking at it now, the game was basically over at that point. Um, you, you do that against Northwestern to start, you get on the board first and all of a sudden a offense that wants to be risk averse has to get a little bit more risky. And that's a tough spot for Northwestern to be offensively. You know, one thing offensively about Scott Frost's offense at Oregon, UCF, and then even Nebraska, effectiveness aside, it's very creative, and you'd probably classify it as somewhat exotic. What about Mark Whipple? I think I think they have a chance to be that in this first game, particularly. And I, I mean, I think so. Whipple Whipple's interesting. You know, he comes from he was kind of a no huddle pioneer in the like eighties, late eighties, nineties, you know, it, in new Haven, the university of new Haven at Brown at places like it was hard to notice. Uh, but he had a sterling reputation early in his coaching career for being innovative in that. And he's kind of taken some of those classic West coast route concepts and molded it to uh, modern day football. I mean, I, I fully expect Nebraska Temple wise to be faster this year than they have been in the past. And that's kind of the, you know, that was one of the big weapons that we associated with Frost through the UCF years. I mean, you know, where he came from, Oregon obviously lent itself to that. But Whipple was was very, very well regarded as a young head coach to the point where Bill O'Brien was on his staff at Brown. Um, Chip Kelly, who was in New Hampshire at the time, would come down and, you know, just trade ideas like like coaches do. So those are kind of the really early roots of it. I don't know if you'll see some of the, you know, dynamic play calls that we we associate with Frost from sometimes. I mean, there's some plays that Nebraska has run past where you're just like, okay, well, that was, that was fun. That was like a video game play. You know, that might be something I select in, in NCAA football just to try it out because it looks kind of kind of crazy. I don't know if you'll get that piece of it in a, in a Whipple offense. It'll be a little bit more kind of classically grounded, but they've got all the clubs in the bag, I think, with, with Whipple calling the plays here. You know, that's fascinating, and I was watching a YouTube feature on on Whipple with his career and you know his tree and and you know his his family so to speak in the world of football with uh, the NFL and in college and his Bruce Arians uh, connections but it, it's funny when we think about what what's you know this offense going to look like going to be and to your point it's I could see Nebraska going 
vintage Buffalo Bills, no, not K gun, so to speak. But if they get in rhythm, he loves going two minute drill as a normal offense. And that's not the, the tempo or the hurry up we've thought about, at least I haven't, in college football the last 10 to 15 years because of the the Oregon presence, right? It's it's a, it's a it's the original two minute drill, I guess. But with Nebraska's wideouts and weapons, and you got the right guy th- slinging the pill, and protection holds true. I mean, it could be pretty fun this year for Nebraska. Yeah, and I think the key to to really uh, upping that tempo, if they want to use that as a weapon, is being consistent in the pass game. Can you consistently, you know, you've got all these route concepts that that work on paper, that that the way that they're designed, do you have the quarterback, do you have the receivers, the tight ends to just consistently take five, six yards when it's there? Because if you do that, you can go right back to the line and go again. And you can go, you can go down the field that way if you can do it consistently. Nebraska over the past four seasons, I think, has, it's wanted to rely on the run game to do that. Uh, the passing game, you know, Nebraska got, got guys open a ton. It, minus twenty twenty, uh, it's been a pretty big play passing game, and that's that's fine and good. I just don't think Nebraska. The thing gumming up the works here was Nebraska was never consistent enough in the run game, particularly the handoff run game, to truly go as fast as I think they were capable of doing. Now, my guess is they'll try to do that through a little bit more of a controlled passing game, a shorter passing game. Doesn't mean they won't take shots, but uh, and if they can do that, then they have the ability to really push the tempo, and then your run game becomes a little bit of your constraint, uh, which which could make things easier and make that piece of it look really good. Well, Brendan, let me just uh, ask you this question. With, with Nebraska, you mentioned the fact that their passing game has been more of a, a big play passing game over the past couple of years and I think part of that is I'm not sure they've had a guy who can consistently get open on those five six yard routes Austin Allen maybe was that guy last season but that's not really how they utilized him do you, do you see a guy that's a pass catcher in this offense this year that is going to be a, a consistent you know uh target at, at that five to six yard range a guy who can run clean routes and is a big body because I'm not sure I see that guy right now it feels like there's a lot of uh big play guys uh, among the pass catchers, but I'm not sure I see a, a consistent, you know, keep the offense in rhythm type of guy. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I don't see the individual that I can point to and say, well, that's, that's the guy you're talking about, Elijah. Um, it's going to have to be a little bit by committee. I think that's the case for the receiver group as a whole. There's players there that I like, um, you know, I'm particularly high on Garcia Castaneda. Um, I, I, I really like guys who have had a good amount of success at, you know, a quote-unquote lower level. Uh, he was FBS, but New Mexico State. Um, same reason I, I was encouraged to hear Omar Brown was getting some time with the ones that Northern, Northern Iowa transfer. Samori Ture was a guy last year who might not be that classic big body type, but you know, in my view, he could do whatever you needed him to do. He would have been a success in this offense. If he was returning, he was the play. He would be the player. I would probably identify as that. So that being the case that you don't have that one guy, which Whipple sure does love to, to feed a top line receiver. If he has one, Um, you can go back and look at the receiving numbers under him over multiple years and see that as the case, it's going to have to be, that really puts the onus on the quarterback, presumably Casey Thompson to be like, somebody's going to be open. Like if we run our routes well and we block this well, like somebody's going to come open. 
can you consistently find the guy? Are you willing to take those, you know, five, six yard passes and just be happy with it? And, you know, we'll, we'll see in a couple of weeks. Hey, quickly on volleyball, Brandon, uh, because they've kicked off practice and they're a couple of weeks away from, from their opening match as well. A couple of questions. Uh, outside of Caitlin Horde, who's obviously going to lock down the middle blocker spot, who do you expect to join her there? And then secondly, what do we know about Kennedy Orr, soon to be the starting setter? What do we know about her in the back row? Does Nebraska take a step back there? Is she a liability? Is she competent? How will she do defensively? Yeah, um, middle blocker. So Horde is a, a, a massive addition obviously um and then you've got two probably true freshmen competing for that spot both of course this is nebraska among the best middle blockers in the country i i would give a slight lead to becca alec at this point um maybe both her and mendelson have team usa experience from this summer at, at different stages alec was able to enroll in january um you know talking with jacob padilla a little bit who watched that first nebraska practice she said he said she was kind of with that top group because both Ford and Mendelssohn who got here a little later, maybe needed a little bit more individual instruction. So I think she's a little bit ahead on that front, that front. Um, Kennedy or it's uh, everything, everything that we've heard about her so far and including some from players currently on the team is that she's as good as advertised. Uh, She can do a bit of everything. Kayla Akana is a, is a big departure for Nebraska in terms of serving first, but also that back row defense. I don't know if there's a lot of players in the country who can who can match that, but I don't expect a huge drop off uh, if if Orr is back there um, and going that route for the Huskers. I think they'll be okay. Brendan Vogels with us, Hale Varsity and Magazine. The volleyball preview is going to print Monday. Vogues, uh, let's tell folks a little bit about what they can get when they subscribe but no doubt it's it's uh, we talk about the college football bible being the hale varsity football yearbook you guys crush it as always with volleyball just around the corner yeah this is one of my favorite issues to put out each year um, we started doing this uh, a couple years ago as kind of a counterpoint counterpart to our big football yearbook that comes out in June, August, we, we do volleyball. So this issue is jam packed with, with volleyball. Aaron Sorensen has a great profile of um, Nicklin Hames, which obviously there's some intrigue around her story. Um, and Jacob of course provides as in-depth a breakdown as a big 10 volleyball as, as you'll, you'll want to see. We got some good stuff that we got while at big 10 media days there. So that issue goes to print on Monday. I'll be working on that as well, our whole team all weekend. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, if you go if you go now to hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, you can actually get a $20 discount on that. Uh, you just use the promo code VB22. So VB for volleyball, of course. So if you're interested, uh, you can get in at a discounted price. And that gets you a full year, which will get you all of our coverage through the fall up to uh, next football yearbook in June. Brandon Vogel. Vogues, appreciate you, bud. Uh, Have a good rest of your weekend. Uh, Great stuff on volleyball and football, as always. 
Mark Cranach is uh, look look at that lighting Mark's that, got that, going. That, that you're I have uh, to fix the blinds here in a second. No, I he's just, in a, just he's in a, a noir fountain. I was gonna so say the exact thing. All he needs is a, a, a cigarette and like one of those little funny noir hats. You know, I, what I need yeah. to see is right Rita Hayworth uh, pinned up behind you. I mean, it looks like he's in uh, Dufresne's cell right there. Uh, with That's the, an old Nebraska drummer cheerleader person. What? Oh, behind yeah. you? Yeah. Where's the Wonder Mons pick? Uh, I don't have that one. Really? I got one where, of a game in Kansas where there's uh, the defensive coordinator for Devaney or off, I don't know, an assistant coach on one knee puffing a heater, as Elijah just alluded that to. That was, uh, help me out, Vogues, the linebacker coach. I can't remember Not either, in- but I know the photo Mark's yeah. talking about. Yeah. He has some goofy-looking hat. Yeah, and then Memorial Stadium being created right there. Not, not bad. Okay, mm. all right. Yeah, a lot of history. Lot well of history done. There. The the radio yeah. room, the football office, and me and Elijah here at the uh, <clears throat> friendly confines. Vogues, have a good weekend, bud. Thank you. You too, guys. Right, there he is. Thanks, Braden. You guys want to keep this live stream rocking for Gary? I think so. Let's do it. All right. Quick time out. We'll get to the Iron Horse next. Gary Sharp will be with us on Hale Varsity Weekend, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Hey, Storm Chasers fans. Your favorite baseball team is back at home August 23rd through the 28th when they take on the Rail Riders. It's a jam-packed series that includes a dollar beer night, Friday fireworks, a fun-filled Saturday with music by Lucas Minor, and craft specials on Nebraska Brewing Company. And how about Imaginary Friend Day on Sunday? Stevie! You hear that? No. Stevie, stop. This is my mic. Sorry, folks. Stevie gets excited sometimes. Hey, hold on to that excitement and channel it on August 28th at 2.05. Sound good? All right. Fans, get your tickets now before it's too late. We'll see you soon. Now, back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into an hour two, we kick off Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for Jeremiah Searles to join us. Uh, standout Husker, longtime NFLer at Searles71 underscore HSKR. Searles, what are you doing? You just blew out some birthday candles. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been too long since we talked. Appreciate you having me back on. Well, was it ice cream cake? Was it regular cake? I mean, talk to me here. It was venison burger. I wanted Ooh. I wanted venison burger with sweet potato fries, and the wife came through in a big way. Man, venison sounds pretty uh, pretty tasty. Uh, I just you... went and put out my deer cams today, getting ready to shoot some more deer this fall. And man, these cool mornings got me itching a little bit. I'll tell you that the season is close. Why, why the venison as opposed to the beef, though? What, what about it makes you go, yeah, I want a venison burger instead of a, a usual beef burger? It's just, it's superfood, dude. Venison and, like, venison, elk, deer, like, if you eating something that runs away from predators of the living, <laughs> it's just stronger for you. You ever been to a cow farm? Those things aren't moving anywhere real quick. You eat deer, you eat elk, you eat, you eat wild games, something that has to survive on its own. It's just that much better oh, for you. Searles is starting to sound like the liver king. No, he, he is. I mean, it's outdoors Searles uh, all the time. <laughs> Uh, he's gonna he's gonna put on the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator camo and go to town. So before before you guys would take on the Buffs, true or false, you would have a buffalo uh, or a bison pot roast. Uh, false. I wish I would have, but I did used to eat steak whenever we play the Longhorns. 
Okay, yeah, just doing one of Bevo's uh, relatives. I get it, I get it. Husker <laughs> football, I got to get your thoughts here on, on the O-line, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, and just um, feel. You've been a part of lines where you were the new guy and you had some, some vets around you. You have some vets on, on this line, a couple of guys, right? But you've also got guys that, that may have been in the program long, but they don't have a lot of career starts. How are you feeling about that O-line going into this year? You know, to be honest with you guys, I'm a little shaky. You know, when you look at an O-line, you always want to look, okay, who are your returners? Who are your guys that were contributors last year that are coming back? And when you look at it, you go, okay, well, originally it was going to be Nuri, and then now he's gone. And so you're really like, okay, Trent Hickson is someone that I've heard has had a surprisingly really good camp because it wasn't super high expectations coming in for him to the camp. But I've heard good things for him. you know. And then you look at the tackle positions, and I think that all of us have to get a little careful of anointing Teddy Prohaska King here. Um, in my opinion, you know, he's still a freshman in my eyes. He had one start and half a game against Michigan. And, you know, I think that he's going to have some growing pains this year, but I think the upside for him is very high. You flip it over to the other side, you got you got Bryce Benhart over there, who had his struggles last year, but he has played two seasons now. He started a lot of football games. It's kind of time for him to make or break type of year um, for him. And then you look at Turner, who my guess would maybe move to guard now um, with Nuri being out, and he might move inside. And then, you know, some names that have kind of popped off that, one name specifically is Kevin Williams. You know, a guy that I heard is having a really good camp, raising a lot of eyes. So you're, you're starting to see some depth pieces, but I'm still not 100% sure that we know who our starting five is right now, which is a little concerning. Um, it's not alarming yet, but it's concerning. You know, I think that we're still trying to find out not necessarily who the best five players are, but who the right five guys are to put out there on Saturday. And that's going to be a huge, huge make or break for this entire football team, especially when you're going up against a front like Northwestern, who's going to be very disciplined. Um, but, you know, I still – it's a little shaky for me, Schmitty. It's, it's the one position on the offense right now after seeing a practice and kind of seeing how things were going that I'm a tad shaky on. Jeremiah Searles with us, Hale Varsity Radio, our favorite Husker O-lineman and former NFLer. So that's, that's a fair point. I want to get your thoughts on, on Ben Hart because he's, he's been through it. He's had to adjust. He's had to adapt. He's had to work. And it sounds like he's doing better. Uh, you know, time will tell with, with, with game speed on that. And he's also seeing some dudes off the edge, you know, through, through fall camp. Has it been fair to, to Turner or Teddy uh, just asking him to play this early? I mean, I mean, that's the option, but there's really not been anyone in front of him, Jeremiah. I mean, is that, is that difficult? Yeah, extremely. I mean, the O-line is a position, and I know I played early, but I'll even be the first to tell you, like, I wish I didn't play till my third year. You know, I think that when you get a chance to really develop and be in a developmental program from 18 to 20 years old and change your body composition and change the way you move and lift the right way, like that's how you develop and then you get on the field and you're more of a polished product versus more of the, and a lot of guys do it, the baptism by fire route yeah. where it's like, hey, physically you might not be ready or strong enough or whatever it is, but you're talented and we need you. And that's kind of what happened with Turner. It's what happened with Ben Hart even, and it's really what's happening with Teddy. And that's just a tough thing to do, and it really just shows kind of the lack of depth that we had at that position and honestly that we still have a little bit where you wish that you have a stable of horses where you have guys that come in and you're like, listen, you're going to sit for two years 
and develop in the weight room and through the practice field and through reps there before you get a chance to compete. Now, if you're physically ready and you're gifted enough, then yeah, sure, let's roll. But, you know, I think some of the struggles that these young guys have had is just because physically they weren't ready for Big Ten football. Jeremiah Searles is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Searles, now you got a group of guys that, that they do have experience in the Big Ten, and they've kind of taken their lumps, and it remains to be seen whether they're going to take that next step. But uh, something we were talking about yesterday on the show is how crucial it is to have a, a guy on your offensive line that's kind of a leader of the, the offense as a whole as well as the offensive line. So have you seen that guy or a couple of guys emerging? Did you know who uh, the leader of the offensive line could be in 2022? You know, I, I don't. You know, I, I'm not sure who that guy's going to be. I think that the easy answer needs to be uh, Turner Corcoran. You know, I think he's a vocal guy. I think he's a guy that he stepped up to the plate multiple times last year at the press conferences and took the arrows and took the bullets for some of the O-line woes last year. Um, that goes a long way. I think that Trent Hickson is a guy that in the center position, you obviously command a lot of respect and leadership just by the nature of the position. But also, he's a guy that if you look back at his career, he started an entire season. And he got benched, but he didn't whine. He didn't complain. He didn't transfer. He didn't do any of that. He just put his head down and kept working and kept getting better, and now he's getting his opportunity. And if you're the center and you go out there and you perform well, people are going to naturally gravitate to you being that leader. You know, So I think that between those two guys, those are the two guys that are really going to have to step up and be the leader of that relatively young group. Sorrells, are there any barometers for success you're looking for early in the season? I think an outsider's point of view might look at yards per carry or pressure rate or, or sacks to, to gauge how successful an offensive line is. But from an offensive lineman's point of view, what will you be looking for to, to say, yeah, this offensive line's getting the job done or no, this offensive line isn't getting the job done? That's a great question, Elijah. You know, I, I think that the thing that I'm going to be looking for a lot is the amount of negative plays. And what I mean by that are, first and 10 busted run play. Now it's first, second and 12, you know, or how many, um, how the yards before contact is another one that you want to look at. Like is the running back having to bust through the line of scrimmage while a guy's draped all over him or is he getting to the second level before some guys touching him, you know, the negative plays and the yards before contact are two things that I'll monitor closely for gauging success of how an offensive line is. And then obviously the sacks are another one, but one thing that's easier to look at is pressure rate. Right, like not just sacks, but how often was the quarterback's throw affected by pressure in his face? It doesn't have to be a hit. It doesn't even have to be a sack, but it could just be there's a free hitter, and so we had to rush the throw instead of letting the routes truly develop, and maybe we had to go for a short checkdown versus the long over route that takes an extra second or two to develop was going to come open, but we weren't able to throw it because there was pressure in his face. You know, so those are the kind of the three barometers that I'll look at for an offensive line's performance on if they're doing well or if they're struggling. Jeremiah Searles joining us here on Varsity Radio. Searles, a thought here with the running back room, what you've heard and seen pairing with this offensive line, uh, getting downhill, more aggressive, moving people, that type of philosophy from from Riola. Do you think you've got a good pair, the the O-line in their run game, their ability to run block with somebody in the backfield, a la what you guys had with Amir? Yeah, you know, that's one of those. I think that's the room right now that I think has a true stable of horses in it, which is great. I mean, you talk about a guy last year, Amir Johnson, who really came on the scene. You got Grant. You've got Gabe Irvin, who's going to be coming back. And then they've got this young, and you got Yant, who's just a power back. But I'll say this this A.J. Allen guy 
is really intriguing to me. You know, I got a chance to watch him run a little bit at the scrimmage, and he is extremely naturally when he's running the football. He's just his jump cuts, his vision for a young player is a guy that I'd love to see him be able to redshirt and develop, but he's almost one of those guys we talk about talent-wise where it's going to be like, man, how do we keep this guy off the field? So that's a, gun, that's a room right now that there's a lot of guys. And from what I've heard coming out of camp, there's really no clear starter right now at the running back room, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if you've got so many guys and no one's been able to truly separate themselves, that means the competition's tight, and that means there's a lot of really good talent. So, you know, I think it'll be a little bit of running back committee um, by committee as the, the year starts. You know, I think Gabe Urban won the starting job last year, so it might be his to lose. And if he's healthy and he looks great, sweet. You know, but I think there's going to be a lot of guys that get some meaningful reps and meaningful carries early on in the year and see what can happen. Searles, uh, without giving away state secrets, were you pleased with what you saw at the scrimmage? Yeah, you know, I was. I was pleased, and, and it, it was just a scrimmage. You know, but the things that you look for as a coaching side from the scrimmage is clean operation. There wasn't a lot of free staff of penalties. There wasn't a lot of defensive holdings, there, and there were referees there. You know, so I think that those were the kind of the, the things that I look for in a scrimmage. You don't necessarily look for the X's and O's because you're mixing and matching guys and you're still evaluating guys and so i wasn't looking for that as much as how the operation of everything went i thought it looked fairly clean which is a good step in the right direction coming to the fall Searles, but with game prep for northwestern still upcoming if there's problems within the scrimmage how much time does the coaching staff have to, to fix those issues are they reaching a point of fall camp where now there's a time crunch of trying to get your, your team to play clean football but also knowing we're gonna have to start devoting time and practice to actually preparing for the teams on our schedule yeah, you know, this is the week where you start kind of ramping down the training camp piece and you start kind of ramping up the game prep piece. Um, you know, we play a game here in, what is it, 20 days, right? Um, so I think that right now you still have that competition for trying to vie for your first, your two deep, right, your starters and your second level and your travel squad. There's still that inner competition, but now the reps may stop being ones versus ones, twos versus twos, three versus threes, where you'll still have certain periods that are good versus good, but now you're going to start adding more periods of, hey, our ones versus Northwestern, our twos versus Northwestern, and then maybe there's a nine-on-seven or a seven-on-seven or a team run period that's still good on good to keep that high level of competition, that high speed of going back and forth against each other. So there is kind of a yin and yang to it. But right now, by this point, Elijah, you really should be playing clean football. It's just the norm. There shouldn't be a, an emphasis on it anymore. It should just be the standard. And I think that that's something that this coaching staff has harped on for a long time, going all the way back to last year. And you just have to hope that as players, you police yourselves with that. As coaches, you're kind of hoping that the players just handle that because that's the start, the starting block of a good football team. Searles, do you have high hopes for the defense? Have you been impressed from, from that side of the ball? You know, I have high hopes because I think Eric Chenander is a phenomenal defensive coordinator. But I, again, am uncertain because you have a lot of new faces and a lot of people that are not necessarily unproven but are unseen to the black shirts, right? You haven't seen them in this crimson and cream – or not crimson, excuse me, scarlet and cream on, on Saturdays, right? You haven't seen what they can actually do when the bullets are flying. And there's a lot of talent back there. I mean, the guys like Tommy Hill and Blackson Clark are fighting over there for that cornerback position. And you've got new guys in the back end. You've got new faces for rushing the edge, right? you got the, the kid out of TCU. You've got the kid from Tech now. You've got the kid from Bama that have all transferred in that you have high hopes for. But until they go out and prove it on Saturday, all it is is high hopes. 
Searles, I want to look ahead to Northwestern here just briefly before we get you out. How important do you think it is for Nebraska to, to be winning that first quarter and to go into halftime with the lead in terms of getting momentum going the right direction for a season? I think, I mean, Husker fans would love to see a, a one-score victory for, for Nebraska in game one to, to try to, uh, you know, kill that curse, if you will. But how important do you think it is for Nebraska to get the momentum going early and go into to halftime in Dublin with the lead? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, the first game of the year is the tone setter for the entire year. I mean, we all walked out of Champaign, Illinois last year kind of going, oh, expletive, right? Like, whatever expletive you want to enter there. <laughs> and it was kind of like, oh, here we go again moment. And it was week zero. I mean, it's such a momentum-building game. And, I mean, from the word go in Illinois, it kind of felt a little shaky. So you're absolutely right. You want to get in and you want to put the foot down. But let's not forget, Northwestern's not going to forget what Nebraska did to them under the lights last year. They embarrassed them last year. And this is a disciplined football team. There's, Pat Fitzgerald is one of the most respected coaches that his team is disciplined and they don't beat themselves. And they're going to be ready to go too. And, you know, so I think it's really important that we can get a little bit of a lead so that we're not relying on all these new faces um, on offense from the quarterback position to the receiver position to the O-line put in a position where they have to pass block a ton, but where we can really call and control the game from the way that Nebraska is going to want to control the football game. Searles, will Sue look good in purple? Is that a possibility, Vikings and Indomitian? It is. If uh, the old Ziggy Wilf and them up there want to open their checkbook, I think he'd look real good in purple. Uh, old Ziggy. Yeah, he's got a checkbook, though, doesn't he? I mean, it's a nice oh, checkbook. Oh, it's big, too. He's got a big old bill full. It's just a matter of how, big the, how many zeros he wants to put behind the, behind the check behind Sue. There he is, Jeremiah Searles. Follow him on Twitter at Searles71 underscore HSKR. Jay, we'll uh, get caught up again uh, soon before kickoff. Thanks for the time. Absolutely appreciate it. Go Big Red. Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. Ten issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. A Huda Media Production.